so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. Welcome to the Digital Public Square, a podcast from the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission about ethics, theology, and philosophy in today's society. I'm your host, Jason Thacker, and I serve as Chair of Research and Technology Ethics and also help lead the ERLC Research Institute. Each week, I'm joined by some of society's most influential thinkers, writers, and leaders to talk about the important ideas shaping our society today, as well as some of the top issues of life in the digital public square. Our goal with this podcast is to equip you to navigate these issues with biblical wisdom and insight. As always, alongside this podcast, we also have the Weekly Tech newsletter that you can sign up to receive each Monday morning. This resource is designed to prepare you to think deeply about the pressing ethical issues of technology, as well as life in the digital public square. You can subscribe now at jasonthacker.com slash weeklytech. In today's episode, I'm joined by Dr. Matthew Emerson, who's the co-executive director at the Center for Baptist Renewal and a co-editor of a new volume, Baptists in the Christian Tradition, Towards an Evangelical Baptist Catholicity. And today we talk about Baptists and their place in the Christian tradition. Dr. Emerson is the Dean of Theology, Arts, and Humanities at Oklahoma Baptist University in Shawnee, Oklahoma. His research interests include biblical theology, canonical interpretation, theological method, and Baptist theology. He's also the author of He Descended to the Dead, an Evangelical Theology of Holy Saturday. And now let's join our conversation. Well, Matt, thank you so much for joining us here on the Digital Public Square. As we get started, can you tell us a little bit about your journey and path into scholarship, as well as kind of the background of the Center for Baptist Renewal? Sure. So uh, in terms of my entryway into academics in general, I had really never planned to be a professor or anything like that. I actually felt called to the ministry in high school, saved at 14, and then called to the ministry at 17. And you know, I always assumed that being called to the ministry meant sort of more traditional church work, whether it was senior pastor or something else. And when I finished my master's degree, Dr. Aiken, I went to Southeastern, Dr. Aiken kept saying, you know, boys, we need more PhDs in the pulpit. And so I just thought, well, I uh, I don't have anything else to do right now. Nobody's calling me for a job, so I'll just keep doing school and stayed and and stayed for a doctorate. And really, by the time I was finished, I still didn't necessarily feel just like I was meant to be a professor. I was actually considering moving back to my hometown and planning a church. And at some point, after 27 years, the Lord woke me up to the fact that I'm a huge nerd. And uh, I was sitting here at my desk reading a book on church planning, trying to sort of get into that mode of thinking and and learn about it. I didn't know anything about it. I hadn't, didn't have any experience with it, but some for some reason I thought I was going to go plant a church on my own. Um, and then under my desk, though, I had checked out like 40 or 50 books on a passage of Scripture. 
and was was just writing a paper on it after I'd finished my dissertation. So, you know, here I am. And what I'm really interested in doing at that moment is researching and writing. And the Lord used that moment to prompt a, a call to academic ministry in my heart that he had been preparing me for, but I didn't realize it until that that moment. So I said, okay, well, um, you know, if I'm going to serve in academic ministry, I need a, I need a teaching job. And um, he called us to California. I taught at California Baptist University for four years and have been here at Oklahoma Baptist for uh, almost seven years, came here in 2015. So that's that's the short version of my academic journey. In terms of the Center for Baptist Renewal, there are a bunch of different streams that, that sort of gave rise to me being interested in retrieval and history of Christian belief and practice and those sorts of things. One of them is just personal. I grew I actually grew up in a mainline denomination, and I became a Baptist because in my church in the mainline denomination I was raised in, the pastor actively preached against the authority of the Bible and, and inerrancy of the Bible. The pastor actively preached against the exclusivity of Christ and some other what I consider to be just core fundamental truths of the Christian faith. And so when I was saved at 14 and then called to the ministry at 17, the Holy Spirit also prompted, taught me through just reading the Bible about the Bible's inerrancy. I didn't have that term with me yet because nobody was teaching me that, but became a Southern Baptist because I was committed to the fact that the Bible is without error. And Southern Baptists are very clear on that. And we clearly teach the exclusivity of Christ for salvation and, and also became convinced of Baptist principles through reading the Bible. So credo baptism, and local church autonomy and the rest. In any case, the point is I became Baptist, but also was raised in an environment where we had more traditional forms of worship. So we, I grew up reciting the creed and praying the Lord's Prayer and having a, a benediction that sent us out and these sorts of things. And, you know, that's not typical in a regular Southern Baptist church. And so uh, doctrinally and convictionally, I'm just very clearly Southern Baptist. And But I also think that there's value in the traditional forms of Christian worship that have been with us, not just in mainline denominations, but throughout Christian history. So these are practices that go well beyond, you know, 19th and 20th century fights over theology. These are practices that stretch back to the early church. So that's one avenue. Another one is that my colleague and, and good friend at CBU, Luke Stamps, and I just read a few different works on classical theology and how some of the commitments of classical theology, especially with respect to the doctrine of the Trinity, have been lost in modern theology. Um, and so that got me on the the tack of retrieving Trinitarian doctrine, uh, but also led me to think about the descent clause in the creed, which is another topic that I, I've thought about a lot. So, you know, personally and also intellectually, uh, I'm just interested in connecting Baptists to our Christian past. Um, and, I, and I'm interested in connecting Baptists to our Baptist past. I'm interested in Baptist history. So, I didn't grow up Baptist, but I'm now a thoroughly convinced and committed Baptist, and I care about our history. And And I think it's important for us as Baptists right now not just to know the Christian tradition, but to know the Baptist tradition, because uh, it, it does mean something, a, a particular thing, to be a Baptist. And what is that? Well, let's let's look at the resources of the past to help us define that in the present as we look towards the future. So those are some different streams. And, of course, Brandon Smith and, and Winston— Hotman, who are the other two people on the board of directors, 
Luke and I didn't know them when we started having those conversations, but they were having the similar having similar conversations at Chriswell together, and we ended up meeting at ETS one year and sort of dreamed about launching a center together. And uh, it took a couple of years, but that's that's the gist of how CBR came to be. Well, I'm really thankful for the work that you guys do. You specifically, you and Luke and. Uh, Brandon and Winston, especially through CBR. I mean, it's been a real encouragement to me over the last few years as someone who sort of grew up Baptist. Um, I was in and out of the church. I didn't become a believer until I was 18. But becoming convictionally Southern Baptist, that kind of idea of retrieval and getting back into these sources and understanding not only Christian tradition, but also the Baptist tradition um, has been really encouraging and helpful for me. So I just really appreciate y'all's work. What are some of the things that you are hoping to accomplish through the center? So obviously later on in the podcast, we'll talk a little bit about the reading challenge that you guys do. Um, But what are some of the things that you're hoping to do? I mean, you guys have a number of fellows that are associated with the center. What are some of the hopes and plans of what you're going to be able to do through the center? Yeah, I, I would say that the most basic goal for us is to connect Baptist pastors and churches to the resources of the Christian and Baptist tradition for renewal in the present as we move into the future. So all we're really trying to do is say, listen, you know, here's how other Christians, how the whole church, how particularly the Baptist tradition has thought about this doctrine or has practiced uh, worship in this way. And here's why that can matter for your church right now. And here's how it can help form your people for the future. For mission um, and, and for transformation, that's the main goal. Our goal is not obviously a lot of the work that we do is is academic or at least academically related. But our our primary goal isn't just academic or intellectual. Our goal is actually for the church. And I'm not trying to you know pull a copyright issue with Midwestern there, but I'm just saying like we we, we exist to help churches out. That's what we want to do. And so a lot of times that's discussing ideas and this sort of thing, but ultimately we want to help pastors and churches find resources that will help them in pursuing Christ in their local church. Well, I know some of the resources that you guys have put together, and just recently, uh, kind of mid-last year, you all released a new volume with B&H Academic called Baptists in the Christian Tradition Towards an Evangelical Baptist Catholicity that we talked about earlier. Can you help us to understand what that Baptist Catholicity word means and how you're employing that term? Yeah, Catholicity does not mean Roman Catholic. The word Catholic, small c, is a term that refers to the universal church. So what we're trying to do in promoting Baptist Catholicity is to help pastors and churches in Baptist context primarily, but but also other contexts, especially you know non-denominational or other Baptistic traditions, Help them understand how credo Baptist churches, so churches that believe in believers' baptism, how we're connected to the rest of the Christian church, both now and in the past. How have we learned from them? What have we received from them? Where do we differ from them and why? And how do we contribute to the Christian tradition? So the the word Catholicity just refers to the idea that we are part of one tradition, the Baptist tradition, but that particular tradition is a part of the larger Christian tradition, and we're part of the one church of Christ. So, so helping us see our place in that regard. 
I know a major facet that you guys touch on in the volume, but it's been kind of a predominant theme throughout a lot of works, not just the work at CBR, but other other Christians and other denominations is seeing their faith or our faith as Baptists as part of a global movement, a global Christianity. Because I think it's really easy, especially for Christians in the West, particularly in America, to fail to see kind of the global context. We often think that our slice of Protestantism or Baptist faith is, is all there is in some sense. But to see it on a global scale and a global movement, I think is really important. So why is that important for Christians, particularly Baptists, to understand our faith within this global tradition of faith? Well, I think sort of in line with what you have articulated there, when we center our idea of what the church is on ourselves, we're missing the good gifts and resources and the blessings that Christians outside of our own context bring to the church. You know, so we can learn from them, we can be encouraged by them, we can in turn encourage them in some ways, uh, but we can be encouraged by them, we can we can be blessed by them, we can, you know, so it's a, it's sort of a, you know, it's the idea of taking what Paul says in the New Testament letters about how the churches work together to help the church in Jerusalem, to bring in the churches in Macedonia in that regard. It's taking that kind of idea of the connectivity, the organic connectivity, not the hierarchical or institutional connectivity, because we're Baptists, we believe in local church autonomy, but at the most fundamental level, the organic connectivity between all of the churches of the one church of Jesus Christ. So, you know, obviously, if we were having a longer conversation, we'd talk about the fact that, you know, not everybody who calls themselves a church is a church and this sort of thing, but you know, so when I say the church, the one church of Jesus Christ, I'm talking about those churches who acknowledge the fundamentals of the Christian faith, who give evidence of salvation in their walk with Christ, and who we can, with integrity, say this: these are brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, I'm not trying to say anybody who calls himself a Christian is part of that, but I am saying that anybody who genuinely is part of the one church of Jesus Christ, we as local churches are part of that universal church. Um, And so we can learn from each other and encourage one another, just like the churches did in the New Testament letters. Yeah. Well, I know this is especially true online, but there's kind of throughout academia as well in churches, there's kind of a growing and at times pretty lively debate slash conversation among Christians on fundamental issues, whether it's the nature of religious freedom and baptism or even some kind of foundational Christian doctrines like the Trinity and the Incarnation over the years as the debates have kind of raged on. And so can you help us to understand a little bit about what the Baptist tradition particularly adds to these conversations, especially in regards to religious freedom? Because we're seeing that under assault in many ways uh, through kind of various aspects and various avenues as we live in an increasingly pluralistic society. Is that's a That's a tried and true Baptist um, belief is the nature of religious freedom. And in many ways that is being rejected or being questioned in light of a lot of modern or contemporary controversy. So can you help us to understand a little bit about what the Baptist tradition adds to some of these more doctrinal or more practical types of debates that we're having today? Yes. So when I talk to my students about this, or if we're, we're talking to pastors, or if I'm talking to other academics, I, I always focus on the fact that the earliest Baptists, so the, the 17th century British Baptists, if you read their doctrinal statements and their confessions and, and their creeds, 
it's very clear that they're not intending to depart from the rest of the Christian tradition with respect to the major doctrines of the faith. In fact, uh, the Orthodox Creed, which is a general Baptist confession, so general Baptist basically not a five-point Calvinist Baptist, the general Baptist confession, the Orthodox Creed, explicitly says that we affirm the three ecumenical creeds of the Christian faith. So that would be the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, and the Athanasian Creed. And, you know, if you look at both general Baptist and particular Baptist confessions, their statements on the doctrine of the Trinity, on Christology, on salvation in a Protestant sense, I mean, th- those major doctrines of the faith, eschatology, I mean, they're, they're, they're just Christian. They're not, there's nothing distinctively Baptist about them. What is distinctively Baptist is our emphasis on personal responsibility before the Lord. So in our doctrines of the Trinity and Christology and in our doctrine of creation, we're just Christians. We're Orthodox Christians. In our doctrines of soteriology, doctrine of salvation, uh, in our doctrine of ecclesiology, the doctrine of the church, in our, our doctrine of eschatology, the last things, we're Protestants. So we're reformational. We're, we're, we're broadly Christian and we're reformational with respect to salvation and the church and the end times. But within that doctrine of the church, that's where you see Baptists reforming even what the reformers have said. So with respect to ecclesiology, we're dealing with at least one of the sacraments or Baptists, we call them ordinances mostly, we're dealing in baptism. So baptism is not for infants, but for professing believers. Why? Because each individual is personally responsible before the Lord. This isn't a kind of modernist individualism in the early Baptist confessions. It's simply a statement that in Scripture, what you see is that each person is responsible before God for their decisions and really for their rejection or acceptance of Christ as Lord. And it's that individual response to Jesus that is the warrant for baptism. And so Baptists weren't trying to sneak modernism in the back door with credo baptism. We're just saying, hey, in the Bible, you have to actually confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord in order to be baptized. Baptism is the sign that you have repented of your sins, trusted in Christ, and have been renewed and regenerated by the Holy Spirit of God. So the sign has to come after, or at least in conjunction with, that public proclamation of faith. So personal responsibility for the Lord is something that's in Scripture. The local church's autonomy and and each individual member's part in governing that local church is also in line with that commitment to personal responsibility before the Lord. So no church is in charge of another church, or no person is in charge of multiple churches, rather Each individual member of each local church, because of what salvation means, is indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God and therefore capable of governing the local church together along with the other members of that church. And nobody, no other church can provide that governance. It's up to the local members. So this personal responsibility before the Lord is what brings out the Baptist distinctive of credo or believer's baptism. Personal responsibility is why we confess and believe in local church autonomy. And personal responsibility before the Lord is why we emphasize religious freedom. You know, it's been called liberty of conscience. And then, you know, I'm a little bit reticent about the phrase separation of church and state, not because I don't affirm it, but because 
I think that in our context, some have taken it to mean that religion should have no part in how we think about governance, which is just not what anybody meant by the phrase when it was written. So uh, as a Baptist, I'm committed to religious freedom. That is saying every person is responsible before the Lord to reject or accept Christ as Lord. And I can't coerce or provide governmental compulsion for them to believe. They can believe whatever they want. That's not up to me. It's not up to the government to force them to believe something. And so Baptists, in that regard, in in this emphasis on personal responsibility before the Lord, that's part of the reason why we're the the leader in world missions historically and and, um, in terms of how many we send, because we believe that each person on the planet is personally responsible to respond to Jesus. So we need to go tell them about him. And that's not to say that people don't believe that we need to go tell people about Jesus, but it is to say that what Baptists bring to the table in terms of our place in the Christian tradition is that commitment to personal responsibility before the Lord, which I think, I personally, I would say is, a, you know, is one of the gifts that Baptists bring to the rest of the tradition, especially how it's played out in terms of religious freedom around the world and also our missionary endeavors. Yeah, and obviously religious freedom um, is central to what we do with the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. I mean, it's quite literally, as a uh, former colleague used to say, it's our middle name. Um, it's something that we as an organization emphasize and hope to resource the local church to be thinking about these things. And that's one of the reasons that I'm very thankful for CBR, is that you all are resourcing pastors and churches and students and those in our seminaries to be thinking deeply and to be drawing from these deep wells not only of the Christian tradition, but also the Baptist tradition more specifically. And one of the ways that you guys have done that over the past few years that I've really loved are these reading challenges. So each January, uh, you all come out with a reading list. I think in 2021, it was more focused on kind of classical theology. A lot of uh, works from Anselm and Irenaeus to Aquinas and Herman Bavinck, and you walk through these kind of all together. So there's a big group of folks Um, who are doing that. You guys are producing kind of monthly and weekly resources on that. This year, um, and one of the reasons that kind of spurred this conversation is that you all are focusing on some Baptist classics, drawing from Roger Williams and John Gill to E.Y. Mullins. So can you tell us a little bit about why you all wanted to start an initiative like this, our reading challenge, and then why you wanted to specifically focus on the Baptist tradition this year? Yeah. In terms of the reading challenge, what I often tell my students is that if they want to get better at biblical interpretation and they want to get better at theology, the first thing they need to do is just read the Bible. So just, you know, just read the Bible over and over again. And that's not merely an intellectual pursuit, obviously. I mean, we're clear in our classes that God's word is given to us as a life giving book that the spirit uses to transform our hearts as we see Jesus to the glory of the father. Now, but, you know, just sort of at a, a kind of basic reading comprehension level, if you want to understand how to read a book, you need to read it and read it a few times at least. And with the Bible, because God, its author is infinite, because the, the Bible's author, God, is in, uh, he's infinite, then, you know, we can study the Bible and never get to the bottom of it because the Bible reveals to us the infinite God. Um, and so just read it, read it over and over again. But the other thing I tell my students to do is to read classic works of theology. 
So don't just read secondary sources. Don't read, you know, the next book that pops up on somebody's Twitter feed. Don't read the thing that's being promoted all the time. All those, those are great. Read primary sources. So, you know, the, the reading challenge was brought about by the fact that something that's influenced Luke and Brandon and Winston and I so much is doing exactly that, which is just simply reading primary sources. So we wanted to provide a pathway for that for those who, who don't know where to start or need some guidance, that sort of thing. And we just thought it'd be fun eventually to talk about books we like with people we like. So in terms of reading Baptist this year, I think there's a couple of things there. First of all, we're the center for Baptist renewal. So we're not simply trying to retrieve the Christian tradition, although that's obviously important in the broader context for what we're doing, but we're trying to retrieve the Baptist tradition. And we're trying to retrieve the Christian tradition for the sake of Baptist churches. And, you know, I've said kind of tongue-in-cheek a few times publicly that neither Baptists nor non-Baptists know the Baptist tradition well enough to comment on it. And, you know, throughout our convention, I can point out a number of of folks who are really interested in Baptist history. And I I so love and appreciate those men and women who, who are interested in the history of our tradition. But the sense that I get is that, you know, that's a sort of, okay, that's their, that's their interest. It's not mine. It's their hobby. It's not mine. That sort of thing. And so we wanted to promote this year, not just resourcing classical Christian doctrine, but resourcing Baptist doctrine and practice. Because we just feel like even though we identify as Baptist, sometimes we don't know what that means. And we're not familiar with the primary sources of our tradition. So that's one reason. Another reason is there's lots of work being done on, on retrieval. So we're, we're certainly not the only group that's trying to retrieve the Christian tradition. And I, I don't want to forget to mention anybody, so I won't specifically mention any one group. But there are just there are lots of groups. There are even we even have fellow Baptists who are also trying to retrieve the Christian tradition, but it's more broad strokes than diving down into the particulars of the Baptist tradition. So, you know, we, we just wanted to encourage Baptists and those who are interested in CBR, even if they're not Baptist to get familiar with at least a part of the Baptist tradition with these texts. Yeah. Well, speaking of the texts themselves, are there any of the 12 volumes that you all have as part of this 2022 reading challenge that you're particularly excited for folks to read and discuss together? Oh, yeah. So, um, (laughs) you know, I've gone through Leonard and Lumpkin so many times. Um, So the first work that's listed is, uh, it's just listed with Lumpkin's name, but Bill Leonard is also involved in that project, The Baptist Confessions of Faith. You know, again, I think it's so important to read primary sources because it's really easy to assume you know a lot about a tradition or about a thinker just by reading somebody else's thought about that tradition or that thinker. But when you get into the primary sources, you you find that secondary sources, I mean, sometimes they're just dead on right about what they're saying about that thinker or tradition, but a lot of times there's nuances and wrinkles and, and even, you know, contradictions to that secondary source that you, you're just not going to get without reading the primary source. So at the most basic level, the primary source that you should read in a tradition is their confessions. So, so that's why we're starting out with that volume. And, and just in reading those, that's why I emphasized in the beginning, Baptists are not unique in their, doctrine with respect to what it means to be a Christian, what you need to believe to be a Christian in terms of who God is, who Jesus is, what salvation means, 
what the church is sort of in general. I don't mean polity. Obviously, we're different there. But, you know, what, what the church of Jesus Christ is, what Jesus is going to do when he comes back. We're, we're just Christians. And you see that as you read through these confessions of faith. But you also see how we articulate our distinctives and why. And, you know, there's just a lot of assumptions about what it means to be a Baptist that I don't think are right <laughs> and that are shown to be incorrect as you read through these confessions of faith. They, early Baptists were not trying to just go me and my Bible. They were not trying to be radicals in terms of rejecting any sense of tradition. They were not trying to separate themselves from the entirety of the Christian tradition. They weren't trying to create a different stream than the Reformers. They saw themselves as Reformational Protestant Orthodox Christians who nevertheless thought that there needed to be reform in the area of ecclesiology and especially with respect to the ordinance of baptism, the polity and governance of the local church, and the relationship between the church and the state. And that's it. So I think the confessions bring that to light. The other one I'm, I'm really excited about, I mean, I'm excited about all of them, but I'm also excited about Benjamin Keach, Gold Refined. That, in my mind, is the best case for believer's baptism that exists. So why should you not baptize infants? Well, Keech, I think, provides the best answer that I've ever read. And so I'm really excited for people to read that too. The other ones are great. Obviously, we have a lot of people interested in Andrew Fuller, John Gill. I love that we've got Octavius Booth on here, Plain Theology for Plain People, uh, which was edited by our friend Walter Strickland. And, you know, but the last one is going to be the most interesting, probably, which is E.Y. Mullins. Mullins isn't necessarily the person I would point to as my exemplar for Baptist theology, but he's such a crucial theologian in the 20th century for Baptists. So it's important that we, we read him as well. So, yeah, those are some highlights for me. Yeah, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that for some listeners, when they think about reading some older books, they just don't seem interested in it. So they're not like jumping to read the Baptist creeds or the confessions or some of these older works of theology. I think sometimes because kind of in our contemporary society, we think, well, these older works really don't apply to the challenges or the questions that I'm asking. So I need to focus on like newer books because obviously they understand the, th the world in which we live today. So I guess as a, one of the things that we, as we go out to close out the uh, podcast today, why would you encourage your students or even fellow believers or the listeners to the podcast to read older works and to read those primary sources? You've talked about the value of reading it for yourself rather than kind of getting it from someone else and a secondary source. But why would you emphasize reading primary sources, especially older sources, in kind of a this age of information overload in many ways that we have in this technological society. So why would you be pushing kind of modern day believers to be reading some of these older works if they don't seem as interesting and as cutting edge as some of the newer stuff? Well, I think the way that you phrase that at the end is exactly why I would encourage it. This is certainly not intended to be as sweeping a statement as it's probably going to sound, but you know, I, I just think a lot of times the books that are published today or many of the books that are published today or the, or the popular, you know, however you want to say that they're only intended to address issues of the moment in ways that are the argument that's being made is influenced by the moment. So you're, you're trying to address the moment in the moment by virtue of where you are in the moment. Whereas older works, not merely because they're older, but because there's a different way of thinking about the past in them 
older works are drawing on the wisdom not only of themselves of the, or of their own current cultural moment, but on the wisdom of the tradition, the past, on the wisdom of others who have gone before them. It's evident that they are standing on the shoulders of others. And so I, I think you know, one of the first reasons I would say that we should read older works is because they have an entirely different stance themselves to the past than we do. And that forms and shapes us to look for wisdom outside of ourselves rather than within, which is really needed today. There are other reasons, but I'll, I'll stick with that. If you want more, you should read the introduction to Athanasius's On the Incarnation written by C.S. Lewis. He talks about why you should read old books. And we'll make sure a link to that in the show notes as well. I had always heard, especially as reading older works, one of the reasons we do that is because while they have their own blind spots, and that's pretty evident when you read especially older works in terms of social ethics, et cetera, is that there are obviously blind spots, but often their blind spots are not the same as ours. Um, and so reading contemporary authors, they're going to have very similar blind spots that we do. But some older works help us to kind of shed light on maybe these modern conversations or contemporary situations in ways that help us to think more clearly and better. And I think that the work that you referenced by Lewis, his introduction to uh, Athanasius there is a really, really helpful resource for that exactly. Well, normally we end each episode with a list of resources, but obviously that's what we've been talking about is this reading challenge. And we'll make sure to link to that in the show notes for everyone if they want to follow along and grab some of those works and work through them with you. What are some ways that maybe people could uh, stay in touch or get involved in the work of Center for Baptist Renewal, whether they're pastors or ministry leaders or students or those who are just kind of interested in digging in a little bit deeper on some of these concepts. Uh, what would you recommend folks if they wanted to follow along with the work a little bit? Well, the easiest way is to check our site, which is just centerforbaptistrenewal.com. And then with, you know, in terms of our site, we do have a, a church search feature. So if you go to centerforbaptistrenewal.com slash church dash search, then you, if your church is willing and able to sign on to CBR's mission, vision, values, doesn't mean you agree with everything we happen to say on the site, but but you agree with the, the basic mission, vision, values of, the C, of CBR. Um, you can register your church uh, as someone who affirms our vision statement. So there's a, uh, a link on that particular page of the site with the vision statement. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash Baptist Renewal. Facebook, same thing, facebook.com slash Baptist Renewal. We will post blog posts, and blog posts are written, we, get, we have blog posts that are written by our fellows, written by our directors, but also we have people who just send us in posts about things that they're thinking about. So we've had pastors... Uh, and others send us posts about you know transitioning their church to a certain liturgical practice or something like that. We're happy to consider those things. There's an email address on the site that you can send those potential posts to. We'd love to consider anything you th- you're thinking about writing in that regard. And then we also have a podcast uh, and a YouTube page. So YouTube, you can subscribe to Center for Baptist Renewal. And uh, our podcast is hosted at the same place. And essentially... Last year, we did a, an episode once a month on the reading challenge books. Uh, we kind of <laughs> kind of fell off the, the wagon a little bit uh, in the fall semester because a lot of us got busy. So we made it through most of the summer books. But uh, we're going to re-up that 
and post a podcast and YouTube video about each of the books and the reading challenge once a month. And we made it through five of the 11 articles of our manifesto, which is just a a point-by-point kind of explanation of what we affirm and encourage at CBR. So you can find that on the site as well under the about tab. And we made it, we, we, we had podcast and YouTube episodes on the first five of those uh, articles. So at some point we're going to pick that back up. So those are some different ways that you can connect and we'd love to, we'd love to connect with you in, in any of those regards. Well, know that we really appreciate the work that you all are doing, uh, not only in your own ministry context and academic context, um, but specifically through the Center for Baptist Renewal. So, Dr. Emerson, I just want to thank you. One, thank you for your work, and I I appreciate you taking the time to join me today on the Digital Public Square. Absolutely. Thanks very much for having me. Well, from all of us here at the Digital Public Square, I want to say thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this conversation, would you consider leaving us a review at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, your favorite podcasting app? These reviews really help us to know how we're doing and also to share the word about the podcast with others. As a reminder, you can connect with Dr. Emerson and learn more about his books, as well as the reading challenge we talked about in the show notes. Also, make sure to sign up to receive the Weekly Tech email briefing each Monday morning. This resource is designed to prepare you to think deeply about the pressing ethical issues of technology today, as well as to stay up to date on the latest technology news. You can subscribe at jasonthacker.com slash weeklytech. The Digital Poet Square is a production of Owens Productions. It's produced by Jason Thacker and production assistance provided by Cameron Hayner. It's edited and mixed by Mark Owens. Well, thanks again for listening, and I hope you have a great week.